You do not. You do not want to see me naked. <laughs> so. Christmas lore usually comes in the shape of a white-bearded man winding a sleigh through the starry night sky with his trusty band of reindeer. However, as we come to learn, there are some holiday figures who are much more ominous. Chief among them is belly-slitting, child-abducting, half-woman, half-demon, alpine monster known as Pirsta. According to old Austro-German legend, Pirsta is a malevolent pagan goddess who stalks the snowy landscape by night during the 12 days of Christmas. Pirsta's aim is chilling, to ensure local customs are upheld under the pain of death. In bygone times, this meant no weaving during the holidays unless you dared to incur Pirsta's wrath and what a wrath she had. Welcome back to Icarin Inc., where we dredge the depths of the horrific and hilarious in all their gore and glory. I am, as always, Micah. I'm Chelsea. And together we bring you Chapter 21, Frau Pirsta, the Christmas Belly Slicer. This week marks Part 4? Part 3. Part 3 of our horrifying Christmas legends from around the world. But first, blood sacrifices. We have merch, we have hoodies, we have t-shirts, we have coffee mugs. Links are provided in the show notes. They are comfy, sexy, and enchanted with magic. So get you something and represent the show. We also have a patron. This is for those listeners who really appreciate what we're doing and want to support us financially. We do give back. We have uh, drawings and we have uh, extra episodes, all kinds of fun things over there. So if you want to support us financially, check it out. Enough of that. What's up, Santa? So many things. One, it's Saturday, and I'm not used to the recording today. It is Saturday, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in a real melancholy place, man. Like I'm super chill. I don't know if you can tell in my voice, but like, it's not like the the real upfront in your face. You know, it's it's more like the, hey, man. You know, just put hey. your head on a pillow. Put your head on a pillow. I'm gonna stroke your hair, tell you a story. But maybe that's cool. Maybe that's maybe that's what we need to do. So I that's think it's I'm fabulous. At. I totally yeah. think it's fabulous. Read a bedtime story, dude. All yeah. day. All yeah, day. Yeah, love it. You are abducted, unfortunately. <laughs> it happens. Wow. And must face the wrath of either a terrifying Santa or a itty bitty chucky size elf. Who do you choose and why? None of the above. Okay. Cool. Moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, okay, okay, okay. I'll take it serious. Okay. All right. I'm I'm going Chucky size elf. Okay. 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 And now I say this because first off, Santa's a big dude and I'm five four. And I don't know if I have the physical strength to go up against a man size Santa Claus yeah. and take him down. 
um, unless I snuck up from the back or, you know, could do something well, a little if, bit more. And of course, if you're, a, if you're abducted, you're yeah. probably not sneaking up from the back unless of course you're like, you're, exactly. you escape and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. But this is probably one of those like fight for your life, you know, yeah. situations. Yeah. And an elf size yeah. Chucky feels a little bit more manageable. Yeah. So I'm going to land on that one. Um, although if he's crazy like Chucky, regardless if I get away or not, I'm probably still screwed. Okay. Let's turn the tides then. All right, Mike, I want to hear your story. I want to hear what you got. Well, I would, I would definitely pick the Chucky size elf, but only because, like, <clears throat> I don't care if I'm abducted. Like, I'm fighting to the death, no matter who it is. Of course, you know, it, of it course. could be freaking. It could be Rambo. You know, I'm still he's going to kill me, but I'm still going to. I'm still going to fight. You know, so I'm fighting to the death either way. But I think it would be hilarious to punt kick an elf. Like, I totally just to, was thinking you're going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just think it'd be hilarious. Like, like run up. So my oh. dad, when he was a kid. He uh, he was chased by a uh, by a pit bull. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, he he was he was young, maybe maybe twelve, thirteen years old. But he tells the story, and it's so funny because he realized that he was gonna get he was gonna get attacked. He was gonna get mauled. Yeah. The dog was gonna catch him. Obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he turned around and raised his hands up like this and clapped. Just clapped, and the dog just for the briefest of seconds looked up, and he just punt kicked it right in the head. And Daisy ended up to, to run of off. God. Yeah, so he just turned around, clapped, and as soon as the dog looked up, he just he just he just kicked it right in the head. And I was like, "That is genius." He's like, "Dude, I don't know where it came from. It just like instinct took over, whatever." That was that just gave me full body chills because yeah. I always think back of certain things happen, and you don't know what intervened in that moment. Right where he he said he was twelve or thirteen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, he would that young. Killed. He would yeah. be killed, yeah. To be that young and to have that immediate, quick thinking, instinctive reaction. Right. And I mean, he's alive because of it. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that gives me chills. Yeah. Yeah. So, so ever since then, I've always wanted to punt kick a, uh, a small bean. So, okay. Uh, okay. so <clears throat> whether it be elf. a dog, whether it be an elf, uh, you know, whether it be a, a, a wayward child, it doesn't really matter what bean it is. I just, I've always wanted to punt kick a, a bean. I, uh, so. I think if you punk, pump kick a uh, elf, you're probably going to get coal for Christmas. But probably so, but I will probably be getting that anyways. I'm not a very yeah. good dude. I'm a terrible human being. So I am probably going to get cold. So it doesn't matter. Uh, you can make diamonds. That's true. So that's true. This, this crush, them, crush them right in my hand. And I oh, will, like uh, Thanos status. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, you, you don't, you don't know the level of strength that is under all this fluff. <laughs> pure, pure muscle somewhere under there i don't know where it is i've seen it for years but somewhere under there is pure muscle listen when i used to sit on my butt all day and in corporate work and i hated it and it was the kind of job that you couldn't get up and walk away from like you were chained to your desk for like oh that's expected. terrible yeah it was so bad and like yeah long story short i did put on some weight and oh, yeah. i yeah. used to call it corporate fluff I was sure. like, I have a little bit of corporate fluff. Oh yeah, yeah. So I now, I how much it. is a little bit? Because I have about fifty-five pounds <laughs> of corporate fluff. So is that it, does that does that take us out of the fluff category and put it's us somewhere all else? Perspective. It's okay. all perspective. Okay. Was, but I'm yeah. still yeah, but I'm still super fat. Like you do not you do not want to see me naked. <laughs> so 
<laughs> Maybe the Chucky size elf does. <laughs> yeah, the Chucky size elf, he very well may. That might be my, my way of distracting him for enough time to to punt kick him. So. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. We've derailed so hardcore. When do we not? When, when do, do we, we not? not? When do we not? I hate myself. <laughs> A little more each day. Oh, my uh, God, Micah. <laughs> According to Linda Radish, the author of The Old Magic of Christmas... Frau Perchta was also known as Bertha and has also been called the spinning room lady. She is often depicted with a beaked nose made of iron, dressed in rags, perhaps carrying a cane, and generally resembles a decrepit old crone. But this old crone packs a nasty punch and carries a long knife hidden underneath the skirt. She also bears a resemblance to the Scandinavian goddess Frigga, who both share one obsession spinning specifically and neatness frankly she's pretty judgy about the state of your home for a woman who dresses in all rags legend has it that you'd better get all your flax spun by the 12th night january 6 for when the christmas season was over it would be time to set up the big upright loom at which time you must have enough thread to warp it and start your weaving and what's Frau Perstow's punishment for those lazy ladies who haven't finished all their weaving? In Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, there were numerous tales of Frau Perstow trampling and even setting fire to the half-spun fibers. And if you've even failed to leave out a traditional bowl of porridge for her? Well then, her rampage would extend far beyond your spinning room. She'll do nothing less than steal into your bedroom, disembowel you, and replace your guts with rocks and straw. <laughs> Good morning. No kidding. Ouch. <laughs> but Perchta does more than just check up on your spinning. Other legends equate Frau Perchta with the legend of the wild hunt and say that she flies through the night sky attended by an army of lost souls, including the demonic-looking Perchten her army of servants who are visually nearly indistinguishable from Krampus. The only way to know for sure is context. Krampus rides abroad at St. Nicholas Eve, while the Perchtons show up closer to Epiphany, and the last three Thursdays before Christmas, also known as Berstil, or Knocking Nights. Also among her army of the night are the souls of unbaptized children, Legend has it that if you hear the wind and thunder roaring and rumbling through the mountains on the bare-still nights, you're really hearing the sound of Perchta leading the wild hunt. So cool. That's crazy. Another one of Frau Perchta's names is Holly, a winter goddess whose name means shining or bright, hence her association with Epiphany, the shining night on which the star of Bethlehem shone down. Her dual nature is expressed in the fact that there are both ugly and pretty Pershtin, both of whom you might find in a typical Pershtin lof or Pershtin run in the Alpine regions of Europe. The pretty Pershtin are all well and good, but the evil Pershtin is the only one you know around Christmas time. That's crazy. This Freaking crazy, right? Yeah, this chick's nuts. Also, the Wild Hunt. Do you have any familiar familiarity with uh, The Witcher? Uh, uh, you, you ever played the games or read the books? I have not played the games. I'm a familiar with the world in the books. The Witcher 3 is The Wild Hunt. Oh. And and uh, I can't remember where this author... 
Is he from Scandinavia? The yes. original, the author. Yeah. So the Wild Hunt uh, is in The Witcher, and it is it is these demonic beings that uh, that are are hunting. They're actually hunting for uh, Siri uh, Geralt's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, protection the lady. Yeah, the, yeah, he's protecting Siri from from the wild hunt. So now I'm going to have to go back and look into the lore of the Witcher and see how much of that is taken off of. Wow. I if, yeah, I wonder if Perista's name is even mentioned mentioned in there. I'm very curious now. That would be actually really interesting. I had no yeah. idea the connection with that and the demonic looking figures in the wild hunt with the Witcher and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he is Scandinavian. In fact, they had to translate the books into English to even right. sell so I've it. Right, so I've got the whole series yeah. translated. And, and, of course, The Wild Hunt is mentioned in there, too. So I'm, now I'm very curious if these, uh, if he took from this. He had to have. He had to have taken from this lore, which is awesome. And that's what's so cool about storytelling, like the inspiration you get from legends and stuff yes. like that. Right, exactly. Ooh, that's so cool. I very love cool. the history of Perishta. I mean, it is so complex. And yeah. I mean, the background on her is insane. Yeah. In case you thought it didn't get any crazier, it does. So buckle up. We mentioned earlier that Frau Perste was once Bertha. So who is that? Bertha, also known as Bersta, was once a widespread and greatly loved Germanic goddess of death and fertility who protected babies, children, and women. Bersta's origins date way back. One theory suggests she was worshipped by ancient Alpine Celtic tribes before the Germanic tribes. In his book Teutonic Mythology, Grimm writes of Bersha's cult centered in southern Germany near the Black Forest, through the Alps of Switzerland into Austria, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, and into France and northern Italy before the rise of the church. Through Grimm's writings, we see glimpses into a past Germany where Bersha was a psychopomp a guide to the afterlife, caring especially for babies and children's souls. She would lead them to the next life. In one tale, a grieving mother spots her recently deceased little boy following a group of children along a hillside. The children are following a motherly woman in a white gown. The boy breaks away to address his sorrowful mother. In his hands, he shows her a bucket of water, which he says is his mother's tears. Then he tells her not to weep for him, for he is safe and sound under the white lady's watch. Because of her association with the cycle of life, death, and rebirth, Bersta wears a belt with three golden keys hanging from it. She has long black hair worn in braids and wears a long white gown. This is why she has been referred to as the White Woman or Lady in White. In later tales, Bersta appears as a hag or a crone in rags. This could indicate Bersta as a triple goddess, maiden, mother, and crone. Or it demonstrates the demonization of her name with the shift of religion in these regions. Another major aspect of Bersta is her shape-shifting abilities. Bersta has been described as having the feet of a goose or one goose foot. She also takes the form of a swan. This indicates another of her attributes involving protection of wildlife, but it also recognizes Bersta as a shapeshifter. This isn't a far-fetched idea since many of the ancient gods and goddesses were connected with the animal world or were shapeshifters or deified land spirits. In this regard, Bersta was the guardian of beasts. Dude, 
Dude, how are we getting so much awesome lore here? This is great. Like I said, I and I was messaging you. I was like, this just keeps getting deeper and deeper and it's deeper. It's wonderful. I love yeah. this. Yeah. Man, I hope people stick around because uh, this is great. This is good stuff. This belly-slicing badass goddess had more than one look. Pershta is notable for a dual nature where she will have one of two forms that people see her in. During the spring and summer months, Pershta takes on the form of a lovely young maiden dressed in white. Or during the colder months, she is seen as an ugly old hag with a hooked nose and tattered worn clothing, as she carries either a knife or scissors to slit open people's bellies. Let's cover a little history here, because depending on where you go, Pershta is more than just a witch who visits on the Twelfth Night. The earliest depictions and mentions of Pershta date around 1200 and later in the 1400s, when mention of this figure becomes more prominent. Pershta served as an enforcer of taboos. One such taboo is weaving on sacred days or not joining in the feast enthusiastically enough. Many of Pershta's punishments stem from punishing those who are lazy and haven't done the proper work. As to Pershta's undead army that accompanies her, the first reference to them is in 1468. With the passage of time, this army would become demons, and then, by the coming of the 15th century, they would become the familiar horned figures of the Pershtin, and the first mentions of costumed processions and parades would appear. In Han Wittler's The Flowers of Virtue, written in 1411, we have the first illustration of Pershta, and more accurately, someone in a mask posing as Pershd with the iron nose. It has been noted that the era of history that Pershta first emerges also overlaps and coincides with the reformations and religious wars between Catholics and Protestants over how Christianity should be observed and practiced along with trying to stamp out other non-Christian religions and practices through Europe. Among Wiccans and Pagans, the period between 1450 and 1700 is called the Burning Times, when thousands of men and women, upwards of around 100,000, were executed and burned at the stake for the crime of witchcraft. Wow. Germany had the worst of it, with historians reporting that entire villages could see their population of women gone. There's some sense to Pershta appearing as a dark figure who carried off girls who didn't behave and the changes to her appearance during this era. Dude. That's so wild. The historical significance of Pershta and how yeah. she has evolved through the centuries yeah. is absolutely fascinating. She's more super than a legend. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, super she, fascinating. Super symbolic of the culture the cultural shifts, the people yeah. at the time. And yeah. as these cultural shifts have happened, she's taken on different forms. Yeah. Well, you're probably wondering where the name belly slitter or slicer came from. As the years have progressed and certain regions transitioned from polytheistic to monotheistic culture, Pershta evolved from a deity to a witch-like figure with a nasty attitude. The Christmas version of Frau Pershta, who is far more commonly known now than any other version, had a tendency to hunt down children during the 12 nights between Christmas and Epiphany, January 6th. She would know whether the children or young servants of the house had behaved well and worked hard all year. If they had, 
they might find a small silver coin the next day in a shoe or in a pail. But if they hadn't, she would slit their bellies open, remove their stomach and guts, and stuff the hole with straw and pebbles. And rumor had it that she had a particular hatred for children who lied. She was also particularly concerned to see that girls had spun the whole of their allotted portions of flax or wool during the year. She would also slit people's bellies open and stuff them with straw if they ate something on the night of her feast day, other than the traditional meal of fish and gruel. In John B. Smith's paper, Perishta the Belly Slitter and Her Kin, there is a great synopsis of the complexities that Perishta represented. Initially, Perishta was the enforcer of communal taboos, hunting down those who spun on holidays or who failed to partake sufficiently in collective feasting, a propitious act designed to ensure future plenty. However, with the growing involvement of peasant women in the market economy, particularly for textiles, Pirsch's role changed to the punisher of the lazy. Yet Pirsch's previous roles survive in attenuated form in each new incarnation. Another remarkable and strange custom that still exists today surrounding Pirsch is the Pirschelauf. It is a masked procession full of noisemaking, fireworks, and people, generally men, dressed as terrible beasts with large horns. These Pirschen, or followers of Pirschta, serve to frighten away the cold, evil spirits of winter by out-uglying them. They are so fearsome themselves, they aim to scare the very cold away. There were well-documented attempts at suppression in the 17th and 18th century, but today, these processions have experienced a revival. She saw a shift from Bershta, this goddess, when they were more polytheistic in that culture, mm -hmm. in those regions. Yeah. She saw a shift into more of that violent Perishta belly slitting crone. Yeah. Um, because of the shift of to a yep. monotheistic project. Yep. And they that, wanted uh, to yeah. they wanted to make her malevolent so that right. you know. Yeah. Right. We'll yeah. uh, we'll get into that next week. We'll see more of that because that uh, that also happened to Krampus and it's, it's very I didn't interesting know that, that really. Yeah. Yep. So we'll get into that next week. That'll be a lot of fun. That oh well, I love the connection then. Yes. Yeah. 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 There, there, I think there are a lot of similarities, and a lot of connections to this, uh, to Parrish's story and Krampus's story. So it, it'll be fun once we have Krampus uh, released to compare compare the two stories. I, I love this stuff. I thrive on this stuff. So that was that was great. A lot yeah, of fun. Dude. Uh, that, yeah. that goes back centuries. And yeah. we just gave you that piece of knowledge. And I'm yeah. going to go the rest of my week thinking about Frau Perista. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, that does it for this week's chapter of Iker and Eek. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to hit that thumbs up button and subscribe to the channel if you want more content like this. Hit the bell to be notified when new content drops. Hint every Wednesday and every Friday. For all our amazing listeners out there, we ask that you share this channel with one person don't care who it is just share it man get it out there let them know what's up it's us we're we're up do you have a suggestion for a creepy story email it to us we'd love to hear it Iker and ink podcast at gmail.com let us know if we can give you a shout out we will if uh, we're able to if you want to remain anonymous just let us know that as well shout out to michelle at m piper underscore rights on instagram she is supporting us financially and receiving all kinds of goodies as our way of saying thank you she is one of us you could be too. Merch is a thing. Patreon is a thing. We thank you for joining us each and every week. Please leave us a review. Leave us a like. 
help us break through that algorithm, get out there to more folks. We really, really do appreciate you. Until next time, I have been Micah. I've been Chelsea. Together, we have been Icker Inc. You have been a beautiful audience. Good night.